This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Cole with a slap pass to the right circle. Garland was falling. He gets it middle of the ice. Throws it to the goal. Joshua scores for the rebound. That was a hard-working goal. And Pedersen wins it. For McKay, left point Hughes, right side Heronic steps into a slap shot, he scores! Philip Heronic teed it up from the top of the circle. And it beats Joey Decord in the Seattle net. It's the Canucks three, and the Kraken one, and this might have been tipped. Have your say on the official home of the Canucks. Two on one for the Canucks. Hoaglander up the right wing, Garland with him. Hoaglander shoots, he scores! Niels Hoaglander rips it past Joey Decord from off the rush. He scores his seventh of the year, his fourth goal in the last five games, and the Canucks make it four to one. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks with a commanding performance in the third period. A strong 5-1 victory in Seattle over the Kraken. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. You can also grab a phone line 604-280-0650 or toll free 1-888-275-0650. The Canucks, well, they spread out the scoring in this one, Bick. Five tallies by the Seattle Kraken. We'll get to Randy Janna coming up in just a moment. Teddy Bluger, Dakota Joshua, Sam Lafferty, Niels Hoaglander, and Ilya Mikheyev. So the supporting cast coming up big in terms of the goals here tonight. Yeah, more importantly, not Elias Pettersson, not Brock Besser, not Quinn Hughes, not JT Miller, uh, the top four scorers for the Canucks. So it is uh, by committee from the Canucks tonight. Certainly was. And let's welcome in Randy Janda into the discussion. And Randy, I mean, you know, we talked about how the Canucks needed to at least bounce back in terms of how they played Seattle last time and also with how they made some mistakes late against the Colorado Avalanche and I'd say overall pretty strong game here tonight absolutely and this game had a little bit of everything if you look back at it right that first period I thought the Canucks started off uh, very strong but a couple offensive zone penalties some of them were quite soft I get you on the penalty kill a little bit too much and even despite that just strong play by guys like Teddy Bluger, Dakota Joshua, Elias uh, Pedersen, JT Miller, Niels Oman playing great on the penalty kill as well, and really is able to right that situation despite having that adversity, guys. And second period, right? Another period where Seattle comes out strong, and you're able to bend a little bit. Your goalie helps you out, and Dakota Joshua has a monster shift that ends up getting that 2 nothing goal. So to me, I, I felt like there was adversity in this game that they had to deal with, whether it was the penalties, whether it was a strong push by Seattle, and they fought back, and they fought through it, which is important for this team because, yeah, you mentioned it, those last few games, not great. Tonight, very good. Uh, pick your depth player here. Is it Dakota Joshua, as you mentioned, kind of having that big play? Uh, Teddy Bluger with the goal, shorthanded. Uh, Karna Garland with two assists. Nils Hoaglander continuing his uh, hot start and hot streak here. Uh, who do you look at as like, oh, th- this was the good death player tonight? Or, or, I'm gonna, or, or the standout? I'm going to cheat and say, okay, there's one player, but there's one shift that I want to pick from a different player. And the Dakota Joshua shift, the 122 he has on that goal where – even when he came off the bench, he was hit with a pass straight through the middle of the ice, and he's like a missile. He's like a rocket through that that uh, neutral zone and just being aggressive, and you could see he was charged up for that shift. Now, fast forward one minute and 22 seconds later on, he's got a decision to make. What does he do there? Does he be aggressive? Does he you know, just chip the puck in? Does he peel off? No, he goes in there, 
and essentially takes on two Seattle players and extends that shift. Some of the players um, extends that shift for himself, but some of his teammates get a change, and what happens? Ends up scoring that goal by battling down low. So I love that shift from him. He was extremely motivated. You could see even after the goal, he was ready to go. He was energetic on the bench. But guys, Teddy Bluger to me, I think in that first period and throughout the game, ends off the game with a fight against Yanni Gord, he was everywhere. And that PK so important, but even five on five, just playing so well in the neutral zone. And, you know, there's going to be limits to how much he can score in a season. He's not necessarily the most offensively gifted player, but just picking off that play on Justin Schultz and then going in cool and composed to go forehand, backhand. I have to say, Teddy Bluger was that player for me in tonight's game, but credit to Dakota Joshua on that 2-0 goal because the Canucks needed a play like that at that point of the game. And that play by Joshua, that shift by Joshua, really gave him energy that they... Basically, after that, they didn't look back. No, and you know, you mentioned uh, Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger, and I mean Niels Hoaglander uh, and the way mm-hmm. he's played as well. And uh, you know, recently he's been on a tear. He's got seven goals on the season now. And there's been a lot of discussion about what to do with him. We can talk about this a bit later in terms of his role and, and ice time and everything. But as far as him really finding an, an identity, driving play through a big hit on Brandon Tan of him, he's pissing off the opponents. He's scoring goals. Uh, we're, we're seeing him pretty much click on all cylinders in terms of his ability right now no doubt and that goal was just cool and composed he kind of looks off garland uh there's a two-on-one there a great play by niels oman as well just to chip the puck out and you know hit uh niels hoaglander in in the neutral zone but i I love that confidence but even on that play that he took the penalty which in my opinion was a soft penalty it was not much there but guys on that shift he was aggressive Mm -hmm. he was so good on the the you know the forecheck where a player in that scenario when you start off that game like you're shot out of a cannon and you take a penalty uh, especially a player that's had issues with being up and down the lineup he hasn't had that most that much confidence to bounce back from that play and have a heck of a game tonight Uh, I liked his game as well there was a couple of uh, plays throughout the game where you're saying you know okay this guy's playing with confidence right now not Brandon Tanev play um, you know, you hate to see a player like Tanev go down an injury, and he was pretty de- dejected on the bench. But for Niels Hoaglander, that's exactly what you want to see. You want to see a guy that's got offense in his game, and when you're playing against him, he's a nasty piece of business. And that's exactly what he's starting to show a little bit more consistently now, right? And I know there's going to be that conversation of should he play further up the lineup. It's Guys, already coming like, in the inbox. Yep. Listen, I I I can understand that logic, but you got a good thing going here. He is, you know fitting that role of being uh, a player with edge and what is one thing we've heard in the past with players and Neil said it himself when he's further down the lineup the game is simplified for him I like this version of Niels Hoaglander if you move him up the lineup sometimes players kind of overthink it and change the way they play let him let him marinate here in the bottom six build that confidence and uh, I, I love what he's doing right now it, it's a different way to increase your minutes right we talk about yep. oh just raise him up the lineup you'll play with Pedersen you're going to have to naturally play 15, 16, 17 minutes and look there's a valid, ar- valid argument for that yeah. but when you're playing this way and you're, you're going to be a driver on a line you can increase your minutes that way too, and sure. it, it, I think there's a way for Rick Talking to try to handle this to to try to get that line out out from nine ten minutes to to start creeping towards thirteen fourteen. When I think of Niels Hoaglander, like long term, the player that I have in mind, and maybe the player that you know I'm thinking of, it wasn't as physical as Hoaglander can be, but guys, when Taka was coaching Pittsburgh, the third line had 
a Carl Hagelin on it, right? Right. Good defensively, played very quick down the flanks, and he worked hard. He wasn't necessarily the skill guy on that line. It was Phil Kessel. He wasn't exactly the defensive domino. Uh, domino. That was that was kind of like uh, Nick Benino on that line. But what did Hagelin do? He was about a 35 to 40 point guy, worked hard, and could skate. Hoaglander, if you play this correctly, like he could be that type of player. And that guy can move up in you know the top six, can give you that type of element, but it's not necessary. And I look back at those teams. Remember, Talkett was an assistant coach on that team. Um, sometimes a guy is just good where he's at. And in case of injury, in case of you know maybe sending a message, you can move him up. But yeah, you need a solid third line. You need some depth scoring, which is something the Canucks got tonight. But yeah, over an 82-game grind, I'd like to see Niels Hoaglander really play that pestrel, that nuisance, but with some scoring chops. And he's showing that of late. Uh, no need to rush it, right? Like, this is a, a long runway for Niels Hoaglander. Trust doesn't come overnight. And talk, it probably wants to see a little bit more. But so far, so good from Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, remember... Considering where he started the season and the conversation around him, whether his future was in Vancouver or not, um, he's starting to show something right now. I joked with Sat during that game uh, on the goal that I'm sure Jim Rutherford's sitting there thinking, this is what I thought Kasperi Kapanen was supposed to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, yeah. you, you mentioned Carl Hagelin. It's like, yeah, that's the perfect comp. Yeah, and look back at those are the types of players that Rutherford likes, and mm-hmm. Alvin, of course, being part of that organization. I think that, you know, the Casperi Kapanen thing is a good show because he acquired him twice, uh, hoping the second time around it could have worked out too. But listen, Hoaglander, what I like about you know his style is that he's not going to shy away from contact, right? Like how many ga- games have they you know they've played now? This was game twenty one. I want to say in six or seven games. The opposition has absolutely hated Niels Hoaglander. There, you know, the St. Louis game, there's elements of that tonight. There's a number of games where there's a defenseman or a winger or somebody that's trying to target Niels Hoaglander between the whistles. Guys, skill and sandpaper, right? If he can continue to go this way, I think, you know, over time you can consider him in the top six, but uh, why mess with a good thing? Keep, mm-hmm. uh, keep building on this momentum. What did you think of Sam Lafferty getting a chance with uh, Pedersen and Mikheyev tonight? And I mean, get, gets a deflection tip-in goal, uh, very Kuzmenko-like in front of the net, and also yep. just in terms of being aggressive on the forecheck. And what did you think of the way he fit in with those guys tonight? Well, first of all, tipping a 90-mile-per-hour Philip Ronick shot is no joke. And yeah. the way he's skating through the slot, like he's not static. Mm-hmm. He's taking Justin Schultz with him to the left. That's a, that's a great tip, first of all. But the goal is going to get a lot of attention. Uh, I like his speed. I like his north-south game. But guys, right before the 2 nothing goal by Dakota Joshua, there was a play almost identical to why Andre Kuzmenko got benched tonight. On that 3-2 goal uh, against Colorado... We talk about the rail guy. We talk about not, you know being maybe too passive and yeah. not not protecting the middle. Sam Lafferty has an identical play as Seattle has their you know their their defenseman on the left hand side. And what happens there? Instead of being passive, he protects the middle, blocks a shot with his stick, gets a stick in the way, and negates an opportunity. And that's exactly what you want if you're Rick Tockett. Those are the details that he's going to care about. You know that three one goal was big. It's the insurance goal. But watching that play, I was like, okay, I hope Andre Kuzmenko is watching because that's what you got to do next time. But for Sam Lafferty, he scores a goal. He uh, brought the effort. There was a little bit of edge to his game. And most importantly, for a guy that is so focused on the staples, um, 
it might be that now Rick Tockett has a new poster boy when it comes to star student. It might It's not Phil DiGiuseppe anymore. It seems like it might be Sam Lafferty if he continues to play this way. It'll be interesting to hear what Rick Tockett uh, mentions post-game, but that, that flip from the second to the third period, you, know, you kind of go into that game and say, okay, just be sturdy and, and maybe get out of here with the 2-1 empty net or 3-1. But now they've done this consistently. that They, they, they are icing games late here. And then piling it up also. Like 5-1 to me was not on the cards after 40 minutes. Yeah, this was uh, another one of Randeep's boxing analogies coming in here. This was a counterpunch in, uh, basically in the third period where you're essentially saying you kind of are sitting back a little bit. You're waiting for Seattle to make moves uh, to really press. But the Canucks kept their shape. And guys, I would say more than halfway through the third period, it was 9 nothing in shots. Like the end mm-hmm. total here in terms of shots on goal, and maybe Seattle picks some up later on, but they went into the third period with 22 shots on goal. They ended the night with 24. So that tells you that even though you know they were pushing, they're trying to get back in this game. The Canucks just played this perfectly to to protect the middle of the ice. Uh, Thatcher Demko barely had to do anything, and just being aggressive and picking your spots. And that Niels Hoaglander goal is a classic example. You know, uh, Niels Oman wins the board battle, flips it out, boom, going the other way. And you understand a team's going to push, but that second period is what sets it up. Dakota Joshua scoring that goal, and now being such a strong second period team. Guys, when they are up after two periods of play, they're 12-0 this season. Their goal differential is up to plus 19 in the second period alone. So that second period has been vital, vital to the success this team is having. And it gives them confidence to say, hey, we're doing the right things. Let's lock it down. So, you know, from a... From a, somebody who's been watching this team like you guys have for the last few years, of course, uh, to see a team that's composed in the third period, uh, it's been a while since Vancouver had one of those. And you're right. It, but honestly, uh, one of the storylines, and I, I don't think it's getting... Um, I, I mean, I'm, I can't even speak for social media. I haven't been on top of it really because sure. we're doing the show. But we haven't really got to this yet. But I do think how Thatcher Demko played tonight mm-hmm. uh, yep. should not be overlooked. The 5-1 scoreline does not really encompass what Thatcher Demko did tonight in the first period. I mean, the Canucks were on the PK for eight minutes. Now they had a goal disallowed um, or on yeah on a coach's challenge, which we can get to. But that's the only thing that got through him in the first period, made a number of big saves. And in the second, the Canucks were not ready to play for the first six or seven minutes, yep. and Thatcher Demko completely saved their bacon. And if it wasn't for him being sensational in that second, um, this could be a very different hockey game. So I don't think that can get lost here in the equation tonight. Not at all. And I think you start looking at the high-danger chances, especially just keeping an eye on the, the heat map throughout the game. Uh, in tight, Seattle had a lot of opportunities through about, I want to say, 30 minutes in this game. And there was one shift where... Ian Cole was stuck on the ice for over about, you know, a minute 20. And there's a one pass right up the middle that if that goes in, we're talking about a, potentially a very different game. Uh, there's a huge save on Tolvanen in the first period, even in tight where it's a left pad save. And that's probably the best save of the night from Thatcher Demko. So there were moments in this game that you're saying uh, another one I'll add to that is Yamamoto off the helmet, right? Um, which was late in the first period. So, there were key moments in this, but you know what it was, though? It was the Canucks were, I would say, in the first period at the beginning of this game and in the third period, they were the better team. There's certain moments in the game where, yeah, Thatcher Demko did have to lean in and make some big saves, 
But overall, in the third period, he could just chill. He was he was just hanging out, and uh, that was a credit to the the composure that the guys in front of him uh, played with. But there were some dicey moments, especially at the second period, the beginning of the second period you mentioned, and uh, a couple of giveaways. They end up in the back of your net. Uh, we're talking about potentially a different game. You don't mess with the winning lineup, uh, but Oof. do you make a change? And if you do, who's to come out on a night when all of the depth was so uh, instrumental in this victory? Yeah, I don't know if the folks in the city with 96 jerseys are going to like to hear this, but you don't brokes, uh, you don't fix anything that ain't broke after one game. And I understand the Kraken, um, you know, there was the 5-1 scoreline is, is flattering maybe a little bit to the Canucks, but I like the way they played, guys. Uh, overall, you go with it. And Kuzmenko is obviously such an important part of this team still, but can we criticize the way Sam Lafferty played? Nope. Can we criticize the way... Um, Anil Zoman played. The guy finished his night with two points and a plus three in his NHL return. And here's the issue I have, and the question I would have is, if you're taking out anybody from the bottom six, um, Lafferty, you could move down, and, and that's fine. He's had good games before in the past as well, so you're rewarding him by... Uh, but, you know, Kuzmenko has to play in the top six, so I like the way that Lafferty played. I wouldn't change anything. Um, if you're saying, hey, we wanted a quick reset with Kuzmenko, he'll be back in the next game. As far as I can uh, understand, I didn't hear Rick Tockett say that. So I'd be okay with coming back with the same team uh, against the Sharks, but with Kuzmenko coming back in very soon after that, where you, you give him a couple looks. This was a good game tonight for the Canucks, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Let's put it that way. How about you guys? No, I'm there with you. I mean, I can't really think of somebody. Maybe Connor Garland. Like I, I'd be okay if he comes out. A couple for, of assists tonight, though. Yeah, he got a couple, but even so, yeah, you know what? I mean, yeah, he had a couple of assists, had a fine game. I mean, no points in five coming into tonight. Yeah, but still, yeah, I mean, I don't make. I don't, like I said, I don't make a change. But if you had to look at somebody, maybe. But he had two points, like you said. I don't, I don't see a change happening tomorrow, guys. Yeah, same here. And then, like another name that you could say maybe, uh, like a Phil DiGiuseppe, because he was kind of on, the, you know. But like, if you're taking somebody out of the bottom six. Are you moving Lafferty down and moving Kuzmenko back to the top mm-hmm. line? I thought I thought Lafferty yeah. actually brought something different to that line, which was good. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with that right now. Hey, maybe in a game we're talking about Lafferty not making an impact and you reshuffle, but um, I do feel like just that style of player that he is. Uh, Rick Tockett wants that line to play a certain way, and he's trying to send a message to get the rest of his team to play that North South game, uh, be committed. I don't tinker with it. Yeah. Uh, maybe PDG, 12 minutes and 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a low man mm-hmm. in minutes, but we'll see ultimately for the game tomorrow. Uh, before we let you go, Randy, uh, would you bet against Rick Tockett's coach's challenges? Because I don't think he's making a bet he doesn't believe in at this point. Yeah, shouts to Dylan Crawford on that one as well, because uh, you know he had a role to play. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> if you, you guys are listening to us, me and Batch get it wrong half the time anyways, so I'm definitely not betting against Rick Tockett in terms of his challenges. Uh, that was a big moment in this game, and if they go down, or if they sorry, uh, uh, they end up allowing that goal, it's it's a very different conversation, but shouts to Tockett and his team, man. Yeah, man, Like the, the guy knows. He knows his wagering. All right, great stuff, man. Appreciate it. Cheers, boys. All right, that is Randy Janda calling the game uh, tonight with a 5-1 victory over the Seattle Kraken. A lot of reaction on our text inbox, 650-650. This one says, tonight was a must-win. And I don't know if it was a must-win. Let's win, calm down. But, and not a must-win, of course. Let's it's game 21 down. of the season. However, to impress the importance of the game, the Canucks had a six-point lead on the uh, Seattle Kraken coming into the game. They have a game in hand. They win this game. In this game, now they're eight points up on Seattle, and they have a game in hand playing 
San Jose tomorrow. If they take care of business against San Jose tomorrow, they'll have the same amount of games played as Seattle, and they'll have a 10-point gap between the two teams. We spoke about coming into this game. The Canucks have done a fantastic job building up a cushion. Don't give it up already. And it would have been four, maybe six with the game in hand. But nonetheless, extending that and, and keeping that distance, even though it's early in the season, I do think it's important. I think that's what the texture is trying to get at here. It's a nice to win. Yes. Uh, my, my, my favorite phrase as I've gotten older, Sat, is only bad teams have to play must-win games. Yeah. No, it's true. No, I'm with you. Because it's like late in the season, 71 games played. You're like, ah, oh, this is a must-win. We got to <laughs> get there. We don't talk about first division seeds. Oh, must-win tonight. No, it's like you're going to the playoffs. It's not must-win until you get to the playoffs. Then every game is must-win. Only bad teams play must-win games. I don't disagree with you. I I don't disagree. Denny from Surrey, solid road win from the boys, went to the game last Saturday at home versus Seattle, and decent amount of Kraken fans at home. Saw the Canucks in Seattle tonight, repping in the lower bowl. Love to see it. Rivalry in the making. Yeah, you could hear some pretty good chants, and you could hear uh, quite a bit of celebration every time the Canucks uh, scored tonight. So Canucks Nation showing up big in Seattle tonight. Uh, I five rivalry, more like ninety nine rivalry from no, Shaquille and New West. <laughs> Shaquille, you got to workshop some of these. I, I just I thought it would play off. It's, it's like it didn't, it didn't sound any no, better than your scratch, Shaquille. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know he got it on air, so you know maybe it's not. Getting, yeah, that's like a course you though. Just like enter the zone, flip it on net. It's like all right, plus one. The Connor Garland of text messages. <laughs> Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. Niels Oman getting some love. Oman with two points tonight. Uh, that's coming in. And we'll get to some more of your text messages uh, as the show goes on here. A lot of good thoughts. We'll talk about Niels Oman as well. But I do want to get a call in here before we hit the break. Uh, a lot of people excited on the phone boards. 604-280-0650 here on the Canuck Central Post Game Show. And we'll start things off uh, by going to Ryan in Surrey. Ryan, thanks for calling in. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Hey, boys, uh, I won't be talking about the game. My phone call is uh, dedicated to Neil Zellman. Nice. I was thrilled earlier today to learn about his two-year extension, and I facepalmed reading the comments on social media. The disrespect, all this negativity, all these haters replying to the signing with comments such as, should have extended Pedersen instead, or who? Well, they better know who after watching him play tonight. Such a solid game by him, not an ounce of rust. And on top of that, he gets a couple assists. And people have to realize when Vancouver has to move on from players like Bluger and Suter, this is the kid who will be grabbing the torch on their way out. In the near future, this team needs more uh, inexpensive pieces like him to perform at a premium to help the team remain competitive and uh, cap compliant so that the stars can be paid, not the bottom six Mm -hmm. like the previous regime used to do. I give props to this management team for finding the diamond in the rough and for their focus on the farm system. The same focus they had with Wilkes-Barre Scranton when they were with the Penguins. Look at how Di Giuseppe, Hoglander, and now uh, Amman are performing after their time in Abbotsford. I hope guys like put Coles and McDonough and uh, Ratu can mimic. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, you got it. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, that is Ryan com- calling in uh, from Surrey about Niels Oman. Two assists tonight, played a strong game. We'll talk more about him on the other side. We'll get to more of your phone calls as well, more of your text messages, 650-650, and we'll hear from head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-1 Canucks win in Seattle over the Kraken right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans, The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. 
Found on the far side by Niels Oman, who lifts it off the boards on the backhand, out to center. Here's a two-on-one for the Canucks. Hoaglander up the right wing. Garland with him. Hoaglander shoots. He scores! Niels Hoaglander rips it past Joey Decord from off the rush. He scores his seventh of the year, his fourth goal in the last five games, and the Canucks make it 4-1. to Niels Hoaglander is on fire and feeling good as he beats Decord in transition on a two-on-one and this starts at the defensive blue line. Niels Hoaglander putting the game away for the Vancouver Canucks as they win 5-1 over the Kraken and this is the Canucks Central Post game show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and what you heard, the Niels Hoaglander goal is tonight's play of the game brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley and Bick on that goal Sure, you can give a lot of credit to Hoagliner, who scored, and, and a fantastic finish from him, of course, and a lot to talk about. In, sure, in, we can give credit to the guy who skates no, the puck 100%. all the way out to the But I'm zone. saying, just just bear with me for a second. Brings it with speed. <laughs> I'm giving him credit. His short what? side on the goalie. Yeah, and like, I'm giving Meanwhile, him credit. Teddy Bluger. Well, well, Teddy Bluger does a good job. But no, I, what I wanted to do here was give some love to Niels Oman, who was talking to us. Yes. We texted in, right? And Ryan called in and said, you know, this guy can maybe replace Bluger next season. And yet, the point is they need guys on sh- on cheaper contracts, signs a two-year extension, just over league minimum for two years. And if he can play at, at, at a good level, then that's a very nice player to have mm-hmm. for a couple of years at a very good rate. But that entire play starts, yes. is what I wanted to get to, with some good work from Niels Allman and fantastic from Niels Hoagland, who we'll talk to and expand on as the show goes on. But that all happens because of some strong work along the wall and being available and winning battles, something the coach likes in Niels Allman's game. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, didn't know what we were going to see from Nils Allman because you never know what the minute deployment is going to look like uh, for for a player called up. Uh, he winds up playing fourteen twenty eight tonight to assist and, and two like good assists. They're not cheap assists uh, tonight from Nils Allman. I, I think he played a role in the Joshua goal because yeah. there's all that net front scramble. And then obviously does great work on that play. And there, there were a couple of other subtle plays throughout the course of this evening that Nils Oman featured uh, in a big way. And then Nils Hoaglander uh, taking, you know, all his credit away and uh, <laughs> scoring his seventh goal of the season. Keeps his uh, point streak alive. And I will say the thing about Hoaglander, like very confident shot. Short side on that, buries it. And you just see like clearly a guy that's feeling it. And to contrast that, again, I'm not saying he's had a bad season. But Brock Besser hasn't scored now in five in a row. Okay, yeah. the last game there were a couple of moments. Brock came until yesterday, didn't score in three goals in three games. There were a couple of moments in, in the Colorado game where he passed up shots. Yes, he did. And you just like, oh, is that someone whose confidence is a little waning right now? Even just like despite the very hot and prolific start, Hoaglander looked confident that whole way. It was like, yeah, I'm taking. I'm, I'm going to show that I'm not shooting it, but this one's mine. And Absolutely. It, it very confident strike. And that's what you want to see from him, right? And and there, there are people texting in, you know, we spoke to Randeep uh, about where should he play? Should he get elevated? A lot of people texting in. Somebody said he can win pucks for Pedersen and set him up, get him on a line with Pedersen. That's what they need. Others texting in and saying they agree with Randeep and the take that let Hoaglander get comfortable and grow where he's at. And my entire take on Hoaglander has been let him cook 
where he can be a focal point on the line. Mm-hmm. We've seen him play with Pedersen. We've seen him play with Miller. It doesn't really work great. He's creative. He needs to puck on a stick a lot. I actually thought it worked okay with Bo at times when he was here because he was more of a playmaker off the wall and he can get the puck over to, to Bo every once in a while to get the shot off. And I thought it was good to have him kind of be the creative player with Bo. But with Miller, who needs the puck on a stick a lot. Same with Pedersen. It's almost limiting what he does well. And it's like, let him just kind of have his own line to do things in and get that confidence and grow. I'm all for increasing some of his ice time. Do you get him on PP2, power play 2, for instance? Can you give him a few more shifts, 5-on-5, maybe even once in a while throw him up on a line or something? I'm all for giving him more ice time, but I don't want to take him out of a bottom six role where he's really succeeding being the focal point on a line. Yeah, he was the low guy tonight, uh, 1039. So I misspoke earlier when I said it was uh, PDG. PDG. Yeah, Uh, but very effective. and. A lot of it is coming even strength, right? Like, he doesn't really have a role on specialty teams. That's, to me right now, like, he's got to become a regular 12, 13-minute even strength guy. That, to me, is the first challenge. Not, hey, just elevate this guy, give him his minutes. Can you get to a stage where you're now getting 12, 13 consistently? And I, I don't worry about production and things like that because he's he's doing it on on his own line in in different competition all that sort of stuff i i, I think it's fine right now just letting him marinate yeah to, to me if, if he goes up and we've seen it hasn't really worked okay if he goes up and you stifle his confidence and you got to go put him back on the floor restarting line, it again it's like you're restarting everything just yeah and hey, honestly if, if niels hoaglander is a really good third line player it's great. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like we, we always look at guys and say, hey, can the ceiling be higher? And it's not a bad thing to explore, but sometimes let a guy like just emerge, let him gain the confidence of the coach every day. If he gets to a point where the coach believes in him, trusts him, and he's carving out an everyday role and he's going to be in the lineup no matter what, then maybe you start looking at, okay, now you can take the step. But until he's established, I'd rather just let him cook where he's at. I know Ryan, who called in earlier, was very quick to try to find succession plans for uh, some some cheap options. Yes. But you know what I look at when I see the, the Nils Hoaglander? Succession plan for Connor Garland. Yeah. And, no, and that, good. to me, is the thing. of yeah. Play like how Connor Garland can play in an, in an elevated role. And now you're saving yourself four over $4.5 million on the cap. Yeah. Like That, to me, is... The, the, the succession plan that where you really take the value and you spread it around the roster. Going from Nils Oman to Teddy Bluger, like you're, you're saving a million dollars. I get the point that Ryan's making, but it's not making a huge impact. You probably just want more depth guys around. Yeah, but it does. That the, to me is yes. like, if you open up $4 million huge. and you're getting 90% of the production, whatever it is, maybe even more. That to me is like the the successful succession plans that you can do across the league. Yeah, because you talk about as much as, you know, I can, I've harped on Garland a lot and we talk about his game, but. He's he's a very good player, mm-hmm. and in the third line, like he's helped drive play, and he's been a big part of stabilizing the bottom six. He's got good chemistry with Pew Suter now with Bluger and with Dakota Joshua. There's something there to like about it, but it's just inefficient with the amount of money that you pay, yeah. right? So if you can move that around, it, it, I think it's a big benefit. This text, Hoaglander, more like Homelander nowadays. That's what the boys reference. I'm not sure if Bix watched that show, but those who have will get no. the reference. 
Uh, and somebody else texted in and said, uh, give Niels Oman credit. The Swedish Mafia needs their love. And yeah, that's why we picked that as the play of the game. Niels Hoglander scoring some good work from Niels Oman to give the Canucks a 4-1 lead at the time. And the play of the game is brought to you by Delaney's OK Tire Langley. Drive through winter with confidence by switching to Toyo Tires, making tires for your road. Visit Delaney's OK Tire today on Fraser Highway in Langley. Uh, Big Dad outvoted. He wanted uh, Teddy Bluger's goal to be the play of the game. But uh, me and peeling the curtain back me on and, this. Me and Fast Eddie Gregory picked uh, this Hoaglander goal instead. But I know you wanted to give Teddy Bluger credit. When you watch that, like in terms of finish, he had the nicest finish of the night. Yeah. You know, goes in on the PK, dekes out Decord, and gives the Canucks a one nothing lead at the time. But that's uh, that's all we have to say about the goal. So that's it. <laughs> we move on. All right, let's just move on. I don't know. Go on. No, I, I just wanted to say, like, it's his first goal as a Canuck. Well, it's his second goal, isn't it? Uh, no, first goal. Oh, it is. Canuck, is it okay uh, for for Teddy Bluger? And you know, he's on the board now. And it's it's nice that he got one early. Right. 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 Like he, Beauvillier took a while to get his first goal, yeah. and it's a player who's been trying to get through it. And you you can see like the timing is getting faster every game. And he picks off that pass. He's there. He creates that goal. Uh, I, I wanted to give him a shout out. I was outvoted, but thank yeah. you for giving me the chance. To there you go. Right, you wanted to give him some love. You can. Yeah. You can go ahead. There you go. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. Six fifty six fifty. We'll hit some more of that. But let's go back to the phone boards. Six zero four two eight zero zero six fifteen. Let's go to Surrey again, where Nathan is on the line. Nathan, thanks for calling in, pal. What are your thoughts tonight? Yeah. Seth and Vic Graham, my two jolly boys. What's grooving tonight, boys? How so, you guys doing? What's going on? What's going on? Back after a month hiatus after that line dropped on the loss against the Rangers, boys. I had to recoup <laughs> after that call. My goodness. That landline really didn't even want me to butter up JT's mittens there. No, Unless but now you get a rebuild. chance to do so instead. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe it was Mike from Surrey. He heard I was being positive there, hey? And he got Vic to drop my line or what, hey? Something along goodness. those lines. Maybe he got Fast Something Eddie Gregory. Along. Fast Eddie Gregory is quick on the drop sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Mike's connected. You know that with all the stats he's pulling out his butt. Man, gosh, that guy. Anyways, uh, yeah, going to finish my bit of JT Love tonight here. I know I know he doesn't score tonight, but uh, defensively, walks down the Kraken. Um, blocks three shots, no goals against uh, his line, I believe, tonight. And uh, just to kind of finish what I was mentioning uh, on my last call there, like, I, I think JT isn't exactly elite at any one category, but I think he does everything, like every aspect of the game at a very good level, which makes him an elite player because he's so well-rounded. Um, and right now, like in totality, I don't think he's playing much different uh, from what he's been playing like in the past. I mean, obviously last year, uh, the beginning of the year was awful, but it's his Canucks uh, career, like uh, in a grand scope in totality, like he's been um, very good defensively uh, for his whole Canucks career. And I understand, like, our fan base is, is probably the most reactionary fan base in the league, to be honest. And, I mean, that shows the passion, right, to play the devil's advocate there. But I think it's time. I, I think it's time for us to get behind this guy and understand that he's not the a-hole. His outliers, a moment, make him out to be. And with that said, mark my words. This is a bit of a hot take, but mark my words. Jimothy Timothy Jonathan Tanner Miller will go down as the most complete player the Canucks have ever had. In terms of skill, grit, physicality, scoring, you name it, boys. Centerman duties, leadership, the whole package. And I just can't wait till we get to spring, boys. Wow. JT Miller! <laughs> One more thing, Vic. 
I'll see you at the gym, buddy. <laughs> no, you won't. <laughs> see you, Nathan. Thanks for the phone call. <laughs> that was that was the worst take of that call right at the end. Yeah. I'll see you at the gym. I should have been quick on the trigger of that one. <laughs> have you met me? Is he challenging you to something? Is he laying it out there for Bick? <laughs> you know, his point on JT, listen. Um, I will want, say JT's a lead at power play production. Well, yeah, I think he meant like in terms of a single yeah. trait he has. I don't know, man. Like he, he's, he's got incredible vision. I, I would say this. I, 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 like comped him to Jimmy Butler, where it's like great or good to... Uh, at everything, but no one's like, you know what I want to watch tonight? Jimmy Butler. No, it's like Giannis or Dame or Steph, and it's like, you look after the end of the year, it's like, oh, Jimmy Butler, there he is in the playoffs again. You don't have to uh, prod us much to give JT Miller credit. Yeah. Now, you know, like JT I said, Buckets. Uh, we often uh, get called JT Miller Central for many reasons, and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's always a pro JT show. And sure. I, I know uh, I've had a few messages saying that uh, uh, I, JT knows where all my bodies are buried, and that's why I'm I mean, so pro JT Miller. So, hey, you don't need to convince me to give JT Miller credit. But I think, in, in, insofar as the impact he has, I do think in this market, the the true level of what he's been isn't really being uh, reciprocated, right? isn't really being acknowledged, I think, For generally output, speaking. I don't know if the fan adoration has been matched worth, what his output is. Yeah, and listen, the body language stuff, he's had moments, of course. Like, mm-hmm. he's not a perfect player without without any question. But the guy's been at over point per game player ever since he came to Vancouver. And I mentioned this stat the other day uh, about JT Miller this season. So this would be the third year where JT Miller, as a player who's 6'1 or taller, 200 pounds or heavier, has been a point per game player and also thrown 100 hits or more in a season. The only other player in the cap era as a centerman who has done the same thing JT Miller has done multiple seasons is Ryan Getzlaff. So in terms of what he's done, the rarity and the type of player that he is and how good he's been down the middle, and he's not perfect defensively. He still has some flaws in his game. But the overall value, you see the goal he scored against Colorado. It's an unbelievable unbelievable goal. Now tonight, the offense wasn't there, but how many big block shots did he have? How engaged was he? Now, I do think him and Bavillier made a mistake on that Cole giveaway. Now, it was no goal on that, but a good chance with Thatcher Demko saved. He had some moments, of course, but again, tonight, laying it all on the line was the number, number of big, big blocks and had some key moments in this game. Yeah, three blocks uh, tonight. Uh, doing something every single time, uh, JT Miller. Uh, and and you know, he, he has been filling the box sheet uh, quite a bit. And on a night, you know, where some nights, yeah, there's points and assists, but mostly you can look at Hits, he's there. He goes 50% in the draw tonight. Big, By the way, shout out to Elise Pedersen, 11 for 9 in the draw. Uh, he's was the best one uh, tonight in the circle. Uh, so JT is versatile. And we know like he can play center, he can play wing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but he, he, he does so many different things. Yeah, he certainly does. Uh, uh, this text says, I always thought it was jalapeno tamale Miller. Now, JT Miller. Uh, and this one says, love that JT take bringing the fire. And this one says, I feel like JT would get a lot more love if Sat gave him less love. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> we, we got some takes. There's a couple of takes. We may have to Nobody's just... ever hyped up a player before? Like, come on. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a few takes that came in. One about Rick talking in his challenges that 
We'll, we'll talk oh, yeah, about no, that. We're, no, we're, we're not reading that one. No? Okay, we're, we're, we're maybe skipping one. that one. We may have to bring it up now that we brought it. We may have to now. But nonetheless, we'll get to more of your text messages, more of your phone calls. But we mentioned the head coach, Rick Tockett. What did he think about this 5-1 win? And here he is asked about his team's effort tonight in Seattle. And it's tough, too, because we had a lot of penalties and a couple of guys didn't play. So I'm kind of proud of those guys. You know, it's sitting there for six minutes. I've told you guys before it's tough. But, yeah, um, I thought Ahmed was great. Um, he's been great down in Abbotsford. He really, you know, he's in the lineup. He really balanced the lines for us tonight. What about um, the Joshua goal? Uh, Seattle comes out and starts the second, and they really pushed for the first half of that period. How nice yeah. was it to kind of come out of that up two instead of uh, them tying it? Yeah, Demer, Demer he, uh, I love our third period. He didn't have much action, but there's some, there some moments where Demer was awesome. Um, you know, I think that eight-minute in the first period, uh, killing the penalties, you know, took a little bit of juice off uh, our, uh, our lines a little bit. So we knew, you know, they're a good team. They're going to come at you. And I thought we held a fort uh, with the, with all the, you know, with the, the minutes. I think uh, the minutes were pretty spread out tonight. When you have three new forward lines, but you keep that third line the same and they sort of reward you with the game winner, um, is that why you kept them together? Yeah, I think they've been good the last four or five, six games. I think hash mark down, they, they've been one of our better lines, you know. I don't really see many turnovers from them. Uh, you know, I thought Teddy was great. I mean, uh, Dakota's been playing better in every game, and you know, it's nice to see Gars get a couple points. He's, Gars deserves a few more points. He's been playing good, so yeah, that line deserved to, uh, to stay together. When you, well, I guess it was split, but quick shift or a quick change, Hughes and Veronic for the three-one yeah. goal. Um, well, are they are they uh, looking back at him? Are they asking for well, that or? Actually, Kohler, Kohler was funny he, after we scored. He goes, yep, just getting Cole off the ice on those plays. <laughs> it was actually pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, P won three draws in a row. And, you know, obviously, harmonic with that. he's got a laser. But, um, yeah, that was pretty, yeah, Kohler after we scored was pretty funny. What do you think about the way you protected the lead in the third? And yeah. To the 15-minute mark? Yeah, it's one of our better periods for just game management of the puck, uh, positional. Uh, yeah, I really liked our third, and it was a professional third period. I really liked it. You know, we, I thought the second we gave a couple of blind passes the the, the, the the slot. I heard a couple of guys say hey, we can't do that. So uh, obviously they did a good job in the third. What about you mentioned Petey with the three draws? <clears throat> he wasn't necessarily that involved offensively, but for him to contribute like that, how was important is it for him to find different ways to do it? No, I, I just think Petey, like I thought he was good defensively. Uh, you know, he was going north. I, I don't know. I thought he was pretty good tonight. I mean. You know, it's not always about goals and assists. It's about managing the game. You know, I don't even know how much he played, but uh, I just like all four lines, you know, contributed. And, uh, you know, I thought McCabe was better. And, uh, you know, putting Laugh up there, a couple of good four-checking shifts. Do you agree that it was an ugly win? Oh, like, well, I mean, ugly in what way? Just like, in terms of, I mean, not that you were on your heels, but just that maybe you guys weren't as sharp or smooth as you've been often. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of games, eight minutes of penalties in the first period. I thought we did a pretty good job. And then the way we played in the third, um, I'll take ugly wins. And would you say it was a statement win, given how tired your team is or how many games you've played anyway and sort of where the results <clears> have been <throat> trending? Uh, can you have an ugly statement with you? Yeah, I think everybody's waiting for us to fall apart. Yeah. It's, these are nice wins. These are nice wins. You spent uh, most of your playing career near the top of lineups. Do you have an appreciation for the guys at the bottom who often don't get glory, like maybe they're going to get some recognition <clears throat> for tonight? Yeah, <clears throat> I think it's a... Well, I've, I actually played first, second, third, and fourth line and, and, and not dressed. So I, 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 no, but I do understand... It's a hard job, 
um, and it's a puzzle kind of job. You know, sometimes you're going to have to sit there for five minutes, and you got to be able to. And that's what good teams do. Um, you got to have those players that can sit there for five and get out there and, and contribute. So, um, you know, like Hoggy, he sat there for you know he's had those penalties, and then it's tough to get your legs. But that was a hell of a goal for us, you know, for him. And then, you know, obviously. Uh, Dakota's goal, and you know, just go down the list. You think they feed off each other? Yeah, I think they want to. They know that uh, when they get out there, they want to get their legs going. It's to me, it's their forechecking that really tilts the ice. You know, they can hem the other lines, and that's what you know. They're not one and done, and I think that's uh, we got a lot this year. We're getting a lot of that where we're getting a lot of good forechecking from the bottom six. Everybody's waiting for us to fall apart. Um, yeah. And, you know, and we've seen that movie here before you sure. got here. So is that being discussed in the room when you've lost <clears> three or four that, hey, look, we can't let this get away from us? Well, it's, it's two-part, right? You know, you're going good. You don't want to be too high. Like, you know, we we got to be careful. And it's the same, you know, too low. Like, we're just going to even kill. We, we honestly go day, game by game. You know, you try not to get too high or too low. But, um, you know, and you, you know, like I see, we got to learn how to play tired. You know, and when you're tired, in that third period... You know, I thought we held it together, even though, uh, and we rolled the lines. And those are the tightest statement games that, if we play the right way, and we use everybody, we can win those games. Bottom six emerged. What's up with an engine for your for your team final? An engine? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure. Especially like when you have a lot of power play and penalty kill. You know, it's good to get those guys out. I mean, I try. You know, you try to get those guys out. Um, you don't want to lose guys. And sometimes, you know, in the past, I've lost some guys because, you, you, you know. You get a little top heavy sometimes, and uh, when when you see the way those guys play tonight, it really gives confidence to them, and it gives me confidence to put, a, put them out there in certain situations. Given it's back to back, is there a chance for Schmenko plays tomorrow? Or are you going to? I don't. I don't know. Set him a bit longer. I'm not sure yet what we're going to do. We had a good. We had, just, we had a good game time. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss tonight. You also had a Rose take the uh, warm up. Did you have a game time decision on the back end tonight? Yeah, Freeze was a little banged up, and so we had to honestly wait to you know within an hour or two hours before the game. But uh, you know, he held up pretty good. Is Christian Willanen just one? Since I won't see you till Monday, is Christian Willanen still injured down the line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 had a shot come up there a week or two ago, but I think he's still banged up. Something down there. Uh, that is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-1 win over the Seattle Kraken. Happy with his team's performance tonight. Happy with the victory. Uh, also, through the comment, people are waiting for us to uh, fall apart, but that's not happening. So aware of some of the questions and concerns about the Canucks' ability to sustain the start they've gotten off to so far this season. But it's hard to come away from this victory, Bick, and think the Canucks didn't deserve to win this game. So, And I'm not suggesting the question was along those lines. It wasn't the cleanest hockey game. The Canucks had their swings back and forth, right? The second period of course seattle took over thatcher Demko was sensational making a number of big saves and then they had a really strong professional third period they had a 2-1 lead added to it and just put the kraken away without giving up much of anything in terms of chances going the other way so a lot to be positive of and it's hard to come away from this game and say hey the canucks won because they've been hot like they were the better team in the second half of the game and, and to be honest they, they were the better team to start in the and first it was, two it was, it was just the penalties yeah. that really ruined yeah. their rhythm and if and, and to be honest, like not overwhelmingly severe penalties that to me like needed to be called and were very obvious. You want to call them? Sure, like th- that's fine. And it, it, it's going to be the tone of the game. But to, to, to me, like the, the Canucks were really good early. Eight minutes of penalties in a 15-minute stretch there. They – sorry, not even uh, an eight-minute stretch there. And 
also credit to them, they cleaned it up the rest of the way. Only the fighting major in the final 40 minutes. But to me, that broke up their rhythm of how they were going to try to influence the game. And it, it took them a little while to get back onto it. And you see what it looked like in the in the final third. Yeah, you did. You saw them be a lot stronger and close that game out uh, in a real positive way. And, you know, he gave a, a lot of credit to the players in the bottom six. He mentioned Teddy. Teddy Bluger has been great. Garland deserves more minutes, has been he more production. He probably Bluger for player of the game. Yeah. <laughs> He may have. He may have. Uh, He talked about how Garland's been a lot better recently, deserves more minutes, deserves more points, and that came through. And, you know, he felt like Patterson was good defensively tonight. You know, he says it's not about goals and assists, but managing the game. All four lines contributed. Mikheyev was better. So I... Kind of disagree. Like the goal was the, kind of on I, him. I'm sure you go through some of the video. They'll look back at it and maybe push. Overall, yeah, I think he was better. But that play like, does stand out. Yeah, I don't think any of the Canucks lines tonight really got caved in. Like, can you think of any of the lines really getting uh, caved tonight at, at for prolonged stretches? Um, I don't. I can't really think of anything. I thought they were pretty all pretty solid here tonight. Um, um, well, because the, the blue line was quiet. I felt like. Five uh, on five. Uh, defensively, the, I defensively. Feel, but they they create their chances shorthanded. Joshua's got a breakaway. Um, Bluger gets that goal, and then they have the one shift. And you know, Rick talking kind of mentioning it's like they they hold teams in, and I, I felt like they did that. But I, I didn't really look at that line and say like they had a lot to do defensively. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either. Uh, a lot of reaction on a text inbox six fifty six fifty. A lot of texts. Here, uh, Tommy, the former tractor guy, texting from Seattle. Canucks fans were present tonight. Huge win, must win category. Tommy, the tractor guy. So shout out to Tommy heading back or watching the game in Seattle. And yeah, we got a lot of reaction from people texting in from Seattle saying they were they were there at the game. And uh, you know, as far as you know what the atmosphere was like, I really want to get out to watch a game between the Canucks and Kraken in Seattle. We got to get out there to watch one of those games because it seems like one year in April. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. But uh, I mean, for the Canucks in Seattle to face one another, I guess it would be possible if the Canucks play them as a wild card team. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So let's. Just, but but it's a, it's a let's touch point, on that. It's an eight point gap now between the Canucks yeah. and the Seattle Kraken. It doesn't mean Seattle can't catch Vancouver now. But in terms of this being an important game, and the coach mentioned how hey, this is an important win for us and. It's a tough opponent they played, and they needed this considering they've been tired and everything. I mean, this this Kraken team is playing a lot better recently. And if you lose this one, it would have been a four-point lead for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And now you had a game in hand, but four-point lead. Now tomorrow you're playing your, your uh, third game in four nights. It's 11 games in 17 days. A lot of fatigue is starting to set in. It's not necessarily going to be easy, despite the fact that it is the San Jose Sharks. Like This one was, was pretty important in terms of keeping that cushion uh, against the Seattle Kraken. We also had another text here. I, I, I want to address both teams in, the, in one thought. Do we need to start worrying about the Flames? Yeah, they're a tire fire, but they're starting to show some signs of life. Okay. Where are the Canucks are positioned right now? They're in second in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. They're in the driver's seat. You don't drive looking in the rearview mirror. You look forward. The Canucks control their own destiny. I don't care what's happening in Calgary. I don't care what's happening in Seattle. That's their problems to fix. The Canucks are playing 690 hockey. They can play 500 the rest of the way, and they're pretty much in. They can handle themselves. You don't have to worry about Calgary. You don't have to worry about Seattle. Let them solve themselves. Am I worried about Seattle or Calgary? If they win tonight, don't care. You're in second place in the Pacific Division. 
You control your own th- your own destiny here. Look through the front. Calgary can be Calgary. Seattle can do Calgary. Or, and, and somebody themselves. asked if we people should be looking at Calgary. They've no. been playing a lot better. Look at them if they if they force if they close to you in the rearview mirror, right? But it's as a long large as, gap. As long as Vancouver takes care of business, it's a position you want to be in. Like to me, like what I don't want to, what I didn't want to see was us get to the twenty game mark. The Canucks are building this cushion, and then by game twenty two, twenty three, you already gave a lot of it back. Mm-hmm. You should be aspiring now to be as high as possible in this division. Are you at Vegas's level overall team construction wise? Obviously not. Mm-hmm. But it's a long season. Who knows what happens? They were in the Stanley Cup final one last year. They haven't been at their best lately either. You never know how things unfold. Just keep stacking wins upon wins upon wins, and you never know where it end, takes you to the end of the season. And for a club that clearly isn't at the level of the true Stanley Cup contenders, the higher you finish in the standings, the more favorable things might get for you. Maybe you ho- you start the playoffs at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe somehow, some way, you go even higher and you end up playing a weaker team in the first round. You can't need a few things to go your way, and the best way for you to set yourself up for some postseason success is finishing higher in the standings. And I think that should be the goal here. It's, it's not just about, hey, we're happy we're going to be a, a wildcard team at least. Like, no, like, keep pushing and keep t- trying to aspire to be maybe the top team in the division even. I think there's a difference between adjusting your goals and adjusting your expectations. Coming to the season, expectation for a lot of fans would have been make the playoffs. You've done all these moves. You spent some money. You traded a first-round pick. Make the playoffs. And if that's wild card three, that's wild card three. I don't know if fans should change that expectation because, look, it's only a quarter of the season. Why change sweeping expectations? But certainly your goal can change. Previously would have been, look, if, if you get in with 91 points, you, you meet your expectation for what you want the season to be. But now, you, I think you can adjust your goal to say from this position, the goal should be hit 100 points. And guess what? If you hit 100 points, you don't have to worry about wild card spot because 100-point teams go to the playoffs. And I think if, if internally, the team should be looking at it saying, hey, we have to hit 100. Yeah. They're well on pace to doing it, but that to me is the, the goal now, is hit 100 points. Oh, I mean, 100 and, and right now they're on pace for 112, I think, mm-hmm. it is on the season. So it's one of those things. And I, I think they can even hit 105, 106. If you can do that, get to the end of the season and not concern yourself with the wild card race and, you know, give yourself at least a chance when you get into the postseason to be an interesting team. Even if, even if you're not a Stanley Cup contender, do everything you can to be interesting at the very least. And the Canucks, will, with the start they've had so far, very interesting to begin this season. We'll get to more of your phone calls and more of your text messages, and we'll hear more from Canucks players after a big 5-1 win in Seattle over the Kraken and Satin Bick on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Joshua forces a turnover at the Seattle line. He'll skate in on the right wing. Drive wide behind the net, protected the puck from Winberg. Garland in support after the puck. It comes loose to Juleson. Now to the left point, Ian Cole with a slap pass to the right circle. Garland was falling. He gets it middle of the ice, throws it to the goal. Joshua scores on the rebound. That was a hard-working goal. And Dakota Joshua finishes it off, scooping it past Decord for his third of the year. And the Canucks go up 2 to nothing. And Dakota's going to enjoy that one. Yeah, I think it's a... Well, I actually played first, second, third, and fourth lane and and, and not dressed. So I, 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 no, but I do understand it's a hard job. Um, and it's a puzzled kind of job. You know, sometimes you're going to have to sit there for five minutes and you're going to be able to... And that's... 
what good teams do. Um, you got to have those players that can sit there for five and get out there and, and contribute. So, um, you know, like Hoggy, he sat there for, you know, he's had those penalties. And then it's tough to get your legs, but that was a hell of a goal for us, you know, for him. And then, you know, obviously uh, Dakota's goal, and, you know, just go down the list. Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after a 5-1 victory in Seattle over the Kraken. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. We'll get back to more of your text messages coming up in just a moment to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. 650-650. We'll get there in a couple minutes. And we'll hear from some Canucks players post game as well. Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger. But before we get to all that, let's hit the phone boards. We had some people waiting patiently to get on. So let's run through them while we can. And when we go to Nanaimo, we're eight Aiden is on the line. Aiden, thanks for calling in, pal. Uh, what are your thoughts tonight? Hey, boys. How's it going tonight? Good, man. You? Oh, not too bad. That was, uh, you know what? That was a really good road performance uh, by the team. Um, people can say it wasn't. People can say they were sloppy in the first and second period. Overall, they did a really good job. I really liked how the team worked. The chemistry today was really good, actually. I thought so. Thatcher Demko, always just like, the best goaltender in the league, keep them in the game, make some pretty big stops. And you know what? I think that road game is just a booster upper for tomorrow in San Jose. It is a back-to-back. Back-to-back's hard, and we'll see how uh, we'll see how we handle it in San Jose. But I'm liking I'm liking it. They're back in the win column and just keep winning. They're uh, second in the. Uh, they're second in the West, so just uh, keep winning games. Don't look at the other teams. Just keep focusing on. Uh, getting those w's yeah no, you guys have a good night hey thanks for the phone call aiden and i mean he's right the connects the second best record in the west but it doesn't count as being second in the west because division leaders get the top uh priority so right now colorado and vegas have the top two spots they're the teams that would play the wild cards now also points percentage points percentage too but also uh we're talking only game 20 into mm-hmm. the season 21 for the vancouver canucks a long way to go but that is what it looks like at the moment the canucks vying for top spot in the western conference only one point back of the vegas golden knights all three pacific division teams uh leading the way in the west yeah i mean by points percentage well it's funny because the pacific division uh, we thought okay this might be a pretty good division the top three teams have been very mm-hmm. good S- calgary is itching forward so calgary right now is two points back of seattle for the final wild card spot but they have two games in hand so mm-hmm. they're one win away from getting into a wild card okay, but spot. when you say it like that it sounds impressive i could also say which is all factual they also have 19 points in 20 games hey they're not a good i'm not saying they're a good team they're eight nine and three i'm just saying it's one of those things when the division there's a big gap yes. between the average to bad teams and then the good teams at least so far this season and the race to be a, the second wild card team right now is still a race that's under 500 Seattle has 21 points in 22 games occupying that spot right now. So, uh, long season to go, but that is what it looks like in the standings after an impressive win. And I would say what Aiden mentioned against the San Jose Sharks tomorrow, just quickly on the Sharks game. Sneaky tough game. You're traveling to Seattle, back-to-back. Fatigue's going to set in. You're coming off a victory. San Jose's not a great hockey team. Like, I think the Canucks should take care of They should win that game. I don't, I don't think there's any good ex- excuses, even if fatigue comes in. But it may not necessarily be easy. They beat San Jose twice already. They played a bit better recently. Fatigue's going to be a bit of a factor. This isn't going to be a show-up-and-win game. This is going to have to be a show-up-and-play-well game and play-hard game. Otherwise, uh, you might be on, on the receiving end on, of a not-so-nice loss. I'll be pretty surprised. But 
They have been improving, yes. I'm just saying, you, get, you can't show up tomorrow and just expect the San Jose Sharks to win. It's the Canucks have had a stretch here Correct. in games where their fatigue level. You know how we talk about they've had some tough stretches mm-hmm. and people complain about the schedule and it wasn't early, it wasn't easy earlier when they went through uh, that three games and mm-hmm. four nights stretch. They played five games and eight nights and it wasn't easy. Right, it was, it was pretty taxing on the entire group. Well, this is the very end of that stretch now. So this could be the the, the most fatiguing part of their schedule, and that is in San Jose. Tomorrow. Similar to that Nashville game, yeah. And professional. They, yeah. Professional. So we'll see how they do against the Sharks tomorrow. But that's a conversation for later and tomorrow. Let's continue on the phone words. Let's take one more call. Let's go to Vancouver where we have Reynolds on the line. Reynolds, thanks for your call, man. What are your thoughts tonight? Reynolds. All right. We'll have to uh, get back to Reynolds maybe later on. i got to be on top of it, unfortunately. I hurt myself. Listen through your phone, Reynolds. Listen yes. through your phone. We got you, though. Uh, uh, and as far as the text message inbox, though, we have a number of text yeah. messages, messages. We can't get to all of them, obviously, but we read pretty much all of them. We appreciate them very much. But a few, Bic, that you flagged that you should bring up right now. Uh, 650. 650. Uh, this one, uh, Owen and Burnaby, impressed with how Hoaglander's playing. He can be an inspiration for a guy like Colson. get sent down to the minors, rather play the woe is me card, put the work in. Now he's playing much better because of it. Hope he can get it going. And this one, uh, do you change the winning lineup? Who goes out for Kuzmenko? We briefly touched on this with Randy. Yeah, um, I don't think anybody... Just, should come out. Yeah. Should come out. I mean, we went through the names of okay guys who kind of been have received lower end minutes. So the guys who have been kind of on the bubble at times. Even we saw Garland play under ten minutes a couple times. Mm-hmm. So the names were Bavillier, Phil DiGiuseppe, and Connor Garland. Garland, the coach mentioned, had two points tonight. Mm-hmm. Thinks he's played well. He's going to get scratched off that. He's not going to be the guy that gets healthy scratched. I don't think Bavillier did anything too negative that he comes out of the lineup. Played fifteen minutes tonight. Yeah, uh, Niels Hoglander. He was a low man in minutes, but I can't think of a legitimate reason to take him out after scoring goal as well. Popping in goals. It, it leaves you with Phil DiGiuseppe as being the only Or Nils Oman, but he mentioned Nils Oman. He's like, hey, assist. really balance out the lines. So, and yeah, to assist 14-28 tonight. You're right. Played two more minutes than, or uh, played 90 more, nine more seconds than Phil DiGiuseppe. So the Canucks gave Nils Oman a two-year extension before the game as well after calling him up. So now he's played 69 games in his NHL career. He's one game away from being waiver eligible. He was 22 years old when he signed mm-hmm. in his three years of 70 NHL games. So if he plays tomorrow, he's pretty much going to be here all year. Now, he signed a two-year extension. That means if you send him down, even if through waivers, sometimes it gives makes teams reluctant yeah. to take flyers on those guys. But I do think they truly believe in this player. And if he plays tomorrow, I would assume he's here for the rest of the season. So I'm not expecting him to come out unless they decide to do it for roster management reasons or waiver eligibility reasons, and I think that would be the only way you would do so. Uh, it is an option, 650-650. Uh, Robin Victoria, boys, tell me Hronik isn't the perfect fit on the power play. His shot's a cannon. Why not have it on the power play all the time? Well, they're going through a bit of a struggle spot uh, right now. Not that Hronik's been on there the whole time. Yeah. Uh, what was it? You said 0 for 10? Yes. 0 for the last 10. On the power play. But you did notice tonight they got uh, two opportunities to go after it. I think the way it, like, we've seen, like, the movement be the thing here. Yeah. Kuzmenko is going to operate in spaces that Hronik will not. And it just felt like he was kind of pegged to one spot and then it, it didn't let Hughes roam down the left side. Because now well, you're, you're crowding Hronik and you're just drawing more people uh, towards Hronik to, to get that one timer off. And it just didn't feel like. Hughes was as dynamic 
than on the power play. Yeah. And so I just wonder if you're trying to be more movement-based, is having Ronick on there. Now, look, you can get some movement in that same area, but they're kind of tethered to that spot. That would be my worry. It does create a bit more, some more stationary landmarks mm-hmm. on the power play, which can make them easier to defend at times. And you can still have success going that way. But it changes the movement. It certainly yeah. does, right? And I, and I don't necessarily think it's a good thing, despite the fact that a shot is there. So I think ultimately, if you have Kuzmenko ready to go, I'd rather have him and have the four forward set instead of Hironic. But if you're having Hironic there, you should utilize his shot as much as possible. And they were trying to do that a couple mm-hmm. times. Uh, the power play, however, even with Kuzmenko, they haven't really been quite as, I'd say, as assertive as we've seen at times. And part of that is also Elias Pettersson. Now, somebody mentioned Pettersson's not shooting the puck. He actually got a couple of one-timers off on the power play. One was uh, 91 miles an hour, maybe not quite the velocity we're used to seeing from Elias Pettersson. We know his wrist has been taped for a few games as well, but... You know, it means there's something there, maybe, but maybe nothing like that's obviously preventing him from playing the game. But they aren't also with Pedersen not looking like himself with a shot. How much that, do you think that's also impacting the power play right now? Certainly, but you know, is, is he going to be handling the puck now more? Because it's not as if they don't have goal scores there. Yeah. It's still JT Miller, still Brock Besser, still Andre Kuzmenko. So he should be able to uh, pop some goals in, and it, it's two righties there as well. If Pedersen's handling the puck, so one timer opportunities are a plenty. Uh, but yeah, the the, the Pedersen conversation keeps coming up. Yeah, it certainly does, and uh, he hasn't been at his best recently. Um, tonight, the coach, however, was pretty happy with how he played. He said he was good defensively. It's not about offense. I think it came down to especially the line change stuff, and also them being there. I don't think I didn't see them. Plus, give he's up not going to roast a player when they win five one. No, but also. Well, he did roast him after a hat trick and said, uh, I don't like the turnover. So, I would say this, though. The thing he was very, very critical of was protecting the middle of the net. Mm-hmm. You know, the rail guys he talks about again, and that's imagine a horizontal line across the hash marks uh, and the face off circles in, the, in a defensive zone or an offensive zone, really. That's the rail they talk about, the middle of the ice. So, the middle of the ice in front of the goaltender, especially. They vacated that and didn't defend that really well against Colorado at times. I didn't see them that as a line have any issues doing that tonight. And I thought Randy did a good job also outlining how Sam Lafferty was available in that spot, making good defensive play. That's why Kuzmenko, to some degree, came out of the game as well so i i do think in terms of their staples and yeah he misplays the puck but the misplaying the puck wasn't not being there it was mm-hmm. maybe not being the right not positioning yourself the right way but it wasn't the type of hey not our staples don't be there it's a mishandling of the puck which you don't expect to see from patterson uh certainly not 650 650 nigel texting in would Jordan Eberle be someone that Canucks could use in their top six forwards? Now, Jordan Eberle is uh, an unrestricted free agent coming up. Uh, I think the lesson I wasn't with you on uh, the, the the Colorado game, but the lesson for me from that Avs game is you can't live in the rental market, right? It's still in transition team building here. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if you you want to live in the, in the rental market. If you're looking for a forward from the Kraken... I know he got hurt tonight, but like the guy for me would be like a Brandon Tanev type. Well, yeah, and Tanev was blown up by mm-hmm. a Niels Hoaglander. Dan, uh, Dan texts in and says, I like how Hoag is playing more physical. That hit on Tanev was a mighty good hit. It really mm-hmm. was. Mighty is a good way of describing it but as well. But just to inject some more speed and that f- ferociousness that Tanev can play with, with the, with the forechecking, plus an, an early uh, brochure to the... Uh, 
off-season <laughs> acquisitions. Yeah. She'd yeah. be like, oh, you know, here's our roster, Chris. I don't know if you noticed that Brandon's here on the team already. Brandon, you want to join your brother? Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea. Uh, I mean, and, and I think that's kind of part of what you know, people are wondering here about this roster, too, about some decisions that may have to be made. Franco from Burnaby says, is now the time to trade Besser for top four defensemen? Your thoughts? In theory, trading a winger for a defenseman sounds great, but which top four defenseman that's actually decent is available for Brock Besser right now? I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. There may be, like, for instance, we know that Columbus wants to get some scoring players, right? For instance, you can get a player. Like, is Andrew Peek a top, Peek a top four defenseman? It's not a type of bet I want to make. Right. Now, he might be for some teams, but maybe on a good team he might not be. I mean, that's what you're talking about, potentially. And you're not, you're not getting the Wierenskis, obviously. I don't know if you're getting the type of caliber of player you're hoping to get you'd probably for Brock have, Besser. You're probably going to have to... Oh, yeah. For, no, for Brock Besser, you want someone that's solid. I'm not sure you're getting a top, like a legitimate, really good top yeah. four defenseman. I think your best bet with a Besser type of trade is if you get a young player who maybe hasn't developed yet, that like you're getting a prospect or somebody who has some upside that a team is willing to give up because they have some depth or something. I just don't think it's realistic for you to get the type of defenseman you want for Brock Besser. Not right now during the season. And we see the value of wingers and trades aren't really there right now. It might have to be the 3D type move where it's like you do it for a pick and then the pick goes out. That kind, type of thing. It's kind of like the, how what the Canucks did with acquiring Philip Hronik. They traded on Cole a much Horvath. lower scale. Centers yeah. are worth more. All that sort of. Yeah, stuff. you're not getting like somebody else texted in and said, "Whoa, did the Canucks make a mistake not trading uh, Kuzmenko last year for the same package they got for Bo Horvat?" And I don't think the package for Bo Horvat was available for Kuzmenko. I think at best mm-hmm. you were getting a very late first round pick, like pick in the late twenties at best. I think most likely maybe a second or something. And not because Kuzmenko wasn't great; he scored 39 goals last year. But he's not a player that another team would look at and say, "We need." to take this next step to, in, in a pro season and he's never played in the playoffs is he a guy who puts you over the top and i'm not sure he had that value and that's a guy who scored 39 goals last year i also think it's fair to say if you're admitting that's a mistake then the, this whole season for you should be about trading brock besser yeah it's the same thing it's, it's another winger having a good season and if you're about capitalizing opportunities then suddenly you're you're exploring that i, I i'm not saying you're wrong but you can't say that was a mistake and be like, you can trade Brock Besser. He's on a heater. It's like, well, it's literally the same thing. Yeah. I think all these guys are available for the right price. I just don't know if any of that happens during the season. Yeah. It's more of an off-season thing potentially to explore. Uh, but a lot of questions and comments coming in, certainly, about what the Canucks may do. And they have a bit of a numbers game with the forwards at the very least, with Niels Olman coming up, and especially when Pew Suter does get healthy because somebody's going to have to get sent down. Uh, this text here uh, says, take PD out, LOL. I don't think that's happening. All right, we'll talk more about Elias Patterson. We'll hear from Canucks players plus Ian McIntyre, and we'll break down some more of what happened here between the Vancouver Canucks and the Seattle Kraken. We'll talk a bit more about Dakota Joshua and Philip Hironik, who had another strong game for the Vancouver Canucks. Canucks with a 5-1 win over the Seattle Kraken right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is where you talk Canucks. You're listening to the Canucks Central Post Game Show on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Luger with the lone goal of the game, his first as a Canuck on a shorthanded breakaway. Just over five minutes in. Niels Hoaglander after the pocket center laid a huge hit. Niels Hoaglander lined up Brandon Tanev middle of the ice, or at least I believe it was Tanev. 
Kraken with the puck at their own line. Borgen throws it up the left wing for Jordan Everly as Tanev had to go slowly to the bench. Puck bounces into the slot. Belmar chips it to the goal. Demko made the save off the right pad. There's no call here. And it looked like a pretty clean hit to me. Niels Hoaglander absolutely blows up Brandon Tanev. Tanev did come back, but also left the game afterwards, getting rocked by Niels Hoagland. A strong game, scoring goal tonight as well, helping the Canucks win 5-1 over the Seattle Kraken. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar and the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network into the final segment of the show. We'll get some player... Uh, audio here coming up in a couple minutes plus ian mcintyre is coming up a bit later as well but hashtag future canuck tanev well <laughs> Bick is already starting uh the train uh a lot of reaction on the text inbox someone saying why the hell are we talking trades like look at the standings gents again it's it's responding to messages and mm-hmm. text messages coming in and the canucks here's the thing for all the for that suggestion the organization is very much active in trying to improve the blue line. We've we've heard so much uh, about um, Ethan Bear and how they're looking to maybe bring him aboard. The team has admitted that they're looking at other possibilities. So they are an active team, very mm-hmm. much in, in trade talk. But like we mentioned, too. It's the job. Yes. And like we mentioned, though, at this point of the year, it's one of those things where we can answer these questions and, and give our ideas and thoughts. But... It's going to take some time. Yeah. You have to wait until the new year. This was our take last year when everybody asked, when are they trading Bo? When are they doing this? We said you have to wait until the new year. That's when the bigger moves happen, most likely around the All-Star break, and that's essentially what happened. And that's pretty much what you're looking at now more than anything else. So to the point, look at the standings. It's probably The focus should be how are you going to get through and sustain what you're doing with what you currently have. And when the time comes to add to the roster, then you jump on it or make the team better. But that still seems a, a ways away at this point. And just kind of cycling back to the defense question we we're having earlier, given the MO of this group, that what we saw that they had success with in Pittsburgh, yeah, you had your blue chippers and in Latang and everything, but they made some bets on some guys at cheaper costs, like bringing in Nathan Bear last year. Mm-hmm. Is that something that we see from this group rather than um, like the Brock out and player in that people were suggesting in the inbox? Is it more creative like that? Is If you want another ready-made D-man that is maybe ready for a bigger role, kind of like Carson Soucy in free yeah. agency, is that the way to go about it rather than saying this guy bona fide top four? We know what we're getting. Is it more of a projection type player at a lower cost? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that either. And honestly, looking around, and things can change. Players can become available, but that seems like the more realistic avenue. Like we were talking about this on the on the Canucks Friday mailbag, and you can check it out on the Canucks Central feed, of course. But one of the questions was, what type of defenseman did they go after and gave us a name or something? And I looked at it and said, if you look at the righty defensemen, there really aren't that many. And if you're looking at maybe acquiring somebody, whether it's a righty defenseman or a center that can actually be a top six or top four player, it's most likely going to have to be a guy that hasn't really developed mm-hmm. yet. You have to kind of, because the established guys aren't available or cost too much. So you're going to have to make some bets on players if you're looking to find that via trade right now. You know what guy would go after? <coughs> Play Will Borgen. Played tonight, man. That That's creep can roll, man. Or Brandon Tanev, that creep. <laughs> it's a big Lebowski reference. Mm-hmm. 
That dude can roll, man. <laughs> that dude can roll. Uh, he's uh, you like Will Borgen a lot. Now the question always comes down to: Is he even available? Yeah, what no, does it take course. or anything? But two years your, left at two point seven. But again, but to that, your point, that's, that's the type someone, of guy. Yeah. That's the type of guy. It's a guy that hasn't yet emerged. Played with Carson Susi. Yeah. <laughs> not saying, yeah. just saying. Not saying. I and mean, I think Will Borgen said he doesn't like Carson Susi. Maybe that was tongue in cheek, but who knows? <laughs> not that it matters. Bring them together, make them figure it out. Yeah. Uh, Ian and Dunbar on Niels Hoglander. How sweet it hits. Niels Hoglander. Not bad, not bad. I see you working, I see you working. Tyler uh, says Hughes is one game away from tying a franchise record for point streak for a D-man. Hashtag facts only with a 10-game point streak right now. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And not it's like, bad. it's a chill 10-game point streak. Yeah. He, he came out of the gate and it's like, oh, this guy's like leading the league in scoring. By the way, Kucherov had six points, so Kucherov is the one that's leading the scoring uh, going into tonight. Um, or sorry, ending tonight. How many points is he up to now? 33? He's at 35. 35. He scored Mike. six tonight. So you got a three-point. He's got a three-point yeah. gap on Quinn Hughes now. But the next players are slipping, man. Like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like a 10-game point streak for Quinn Hughes is like, oh, yeah, whatever. He's got 32 yeah. through, through 21 here. No, it's... A 10-game point streak barely registers. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at Philip Hronik, for instance. He's up to 20 points on the season, uh, 21 in 21 games, one goal, 19 assists. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah, ho-hum. But I thought he had another strong game here tonight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him and Quinn Hughes, the chemistry they have. But tonight, they also went away from each other quite a bit. And especially with them having some injuries on the back end, playing a tougher schedule, more games, they've been forced to spread them apart a little bit. And I thought Heronic today looked pretty comfortable when he wasn't alongside Quinn Hughes. And there's been some times this year where that's been a bit of a problem. But I thought he had a really strong game here tonight, Vic. Yeah, it just... Uh... They are the the solid pieces on the blue line, and you actually I'll, I'll give Tyler Myers credit. He, he's been solid after that opening fiasco. Has there been a moment here and there? Yes, of course there have been. Was there one tonight? Yeah, surely there was with, with the high stick. But but by and large, like Hughes and Ronick, very steady. Ian Cole, I think, has been exactly as advertised. And it's just unfortunate Carson Susie got hurt because I thought he was really starting to come on strong. Yeah. Like, we're talking about a guy. I think he's a dash eight, uh, dash six, or sorry, plus six, plus eight. He, he started so strong and he was getting points. That was the thing that, that was so surprising from Carson Susie here. Yeah, he's plus six and five points in 13 games, contributing on the back end. Like, someone that was on pace for 35. 40 points in, yeah. in limited minutes. Uh, so when he when he's back, it would be very encouraging to see what this blue line looks like. Absolutely. And uh, I think that adds a bit more stability to them. And for the time being, you got to figure it out. And at times tonight, I thought Noah Juleson, I mean, he sacrificed his body, a Blocked number of big shots, shots threw a couple of hits. But you still see the... the 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 processing time sure. is too long. The, some of the turnovers, and he can get swallowed up on a forecheck from time to time. So it, it's better it's make of, it up somewhere else, right? And well, eat pucks. I mean, I, I mentioned this to you. I said if you're a defenseman who's who's kind of a tweener, who, who's a tweener, NHL AHL guy, who's obviously not going to be great, you got to sacrifice your body left, mm-hmm. right, and center. And to his credit, he is doing that. The two I want to highlight, obviously, the one they showed on the broadcast yeah. is the the one where he lays out off the face off, and he perfect takes it off the f- foot. Up and away. The other one, though, was after the Baneers canceled goal. He is out later on on another power play and gets out quick enough to challenge Baneers on that same play and stick on puck. And it goes up into mm-hmm. the um, netting. 
just the recognition of, okay, this is something they're going to utilize. I got to push out and get there quicker. Uh, Noel Juleson, nice shot block on that one. Yeah, a fantastic play by, by Noel Juleson there. And uh, Dakota Joshua quickly here before we play some audio from Dakota Joshua coming up in just a moment. But I thought Dakota Joshua tonight got a goal. We mentioned that this season when training camp started, he didn't show up in the shape the coach had expected. Mm-hmm. Not that he was in bad shape, but not the level of challenge that he had set for the team. He didn't meet the expectations for what they had said to be very high standards. Had some uneven efforts, got healthy scratched. He was critical of his performance. He's really now strung together a number of good performances and the bottom line is starting to show up last year he had such a strong year had 11 goals on the season well this season uh now dakota joshua is up to three goals on the campaign scoring tonight which puts him on pace for a 12 goal season all of a sudden kind of in line with where he was last year and it's not just about the points it's more about the presence you have with his physicality getting on the forecheck made a great play behind the net Late in the shift, holding on to the puck, which led to his own goal uh, coming up a bit later on in that shift. So a lot of positives from Dakota Joshua's game tonight, but also really nice to see that bottom line, that scoring touch come back a little bit as well. Yeah, he's kind of living in that Nils Hoaglander range right now of like, how do you get more minutes? Uh, because he was much maligned to begin with, but he's hovering around 11 to 12 minutes. Uh, now he, he features a bit more uh, on specialty teams than, than Hoaglander does. Mm-hmm. But right now at 5-on-5, five five, Nils Hoaglander is averaging 10 minutes. Dakota Joshua is at 11.03 at, at, at even strength so far. And they are like fairly low down the list. Like the only two guys lower than them is or is Jackson Nika. Yeah. At even strength. Yeah. So to keep stacking these performances together for someone that was maligned and, and take that criticism in stride and improve your game. And he's done that. And so tonight, you know, for a player who was really going and that shift is the one we've talked about a lot. He clips 14 minutes tonight. Yeah, he does. And uh, like I mentioned, he's on pace with 12 goals, 12 assists now over 81 games, 24 points last year. He had 11 goals, 12 assists, 23 points. So now he's getting back to being in line with what he was last year at the very least. The hope is, can he take a step above that? Can he be more than what he was last year? Now, maybe he's setting himself up to have a stronger finish or a stronger run through the rest of the season and perhaps building on what he did last year, which was a very solid first year in Vancouver after signing in free agency on a two-year deal with the Canucks. Speaking of Dakota Joshua, here he is post-game talking about the victory in Seattle tonight. Yeah, it was a big one. Obviously, um, it was nice to see it go in and uh, you know, nice for us to, to carry that one the rest of the way through and uh, showed how we locked it down afterwards. Last few games, you you know really picked up the work rate and done a lot of good things. It was nice to get rewarded. Yeah, for sure. It's always nice to get rewarded for uh, the work you do, and uh, I don't think that'll ever change. Whole bottom six, actually. Dakota, right? You see Sam get a, another goal. Not that he's in the bottom six tonight, but also a Teddy Bluger getting one. Just yeah. Uh, see some production. Yeah, for sure. It can uh, be frustrating when they're not going your way, but obviously uh, a night like tonight goes a long way in everybody's confidence, and uh, to see you stick with it, then good things happen. You were so fired up after your goals, that part because you were the only guy in on the forecheck waiting for your teammates to arrive before they, they finally came to help out. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> maybe protecting the lead you guys didn't give up a shot in third until the 15 minute mark yeah that was a big uh you know key coming in between the second and third is don't don't give them much and you know they're they're a feisty group over there that uh plays till the end so we knew it was it wasn't going to be easy but um you know shows to our group and then the way to stick with it 
That is Dakota Joshua after a 5-1 win over the Seattle Kraken. And uh, we talked about his game and, and how strong that was. And hopefully he built on that tomorrow in San Jose. And we were talking about San Jose. It's not necessarily going to be easy. People texted in and said, hey, San Jose played tonight too. Uh, they went to overtime against the Montreal Canadiens. And they have back-to-backs. True, it's on home ice. I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't win that hockey game. All I'm saying is it's a game where... It, you can't just show up and expect to win. You're going to be fatigued, so they have to come up and play well, like take it seriously, and and don't just hang your hat on the fact that you should win the game. Go out and win the hockey game. That's that's what I'm expecting to see. But I would pick Vancouver to win that hockey game. Now so that's just being an alarmist. <laughs> I don't know. About it could all go wrong if you lose to San Jose. If you lose to San Jose, the most unserious hockey. I'm team. just saying, be serious. We we we're giving credit. Strong third period, professional finish to the game, all high marks. Then make sure you to finish this road trip professionally as well in San Jose. Uh, ben from Dunbar says that hit to the head on Bjorkstrand from Myers. Will the league look into this? Saw this on X on Twitter, and, and people are talking mm. about it, especially in Seattle, though people are watch, watching the play. It's at the end boards. Myers hits him. His arms come up. It's hard to tell if he, if he's if the principal point of contact is the head or the body, and then he ends up hitting him. He's a bigger player. He's going to make contact with the, with the player sometimes. I know um, Seattle's not happy with it. The yeah. Seattle fans and, and the Seattle media have been pointing it out. I'm not sure if there'll be supplemental discipline on it. What, what do you think, Vic? Um... I kind of do think that the principal point of contact is the head. I, I don't have a good angle of it, to be honest. Um, but I also think it's a product of Tyler Myers being significantly taller than other people. Well, sometimes it, that hasn't necessarily got in the way of suspensions being levied. I watched it a couple times. I had a hard time seeing it being a clear headshot. But maybe there's an angle I haven't seen that shows that it is. Uh, we'll find out as soon as tomorrow morning whether Tyler Myers is in trouble or not. Yeah, it just it 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 feels like it's harsh, but feels like it's harsh if he gets in trouble for it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see. I, I know that in Seattle, like I said, the media there is not happy with it because Myers took out Matty Beneers last mm-hmm. year or a couple of years ago. And fans, I mean, it was last year, and people were not happy about that. There, uh, he's been talked about quite a bit. So he's very much persona non grata in Seattle. Not that it's any better for Tyler Myers in Vancouver, to be honest. But it is. Uh, somebody texted and t- Tyler says it was a late hit. I don't know how late that hit was. We'll see. I'd be surprised if he gets suspended, but when it comes to the uh, wheel of justice or injustice in the National Hockey League, I mean, who knows? Like, just spin that wheel and whatever answer it comes to, it may be right. Seven games, sure. Why not? Who knows? <laughs> Perhaps like Hoaglander, right? Just fine. Move on. Yeah, I mean, the Hoaglander one ended up being a fine, and mm-hmm. we'll see if that happens with Tyler Myers. Uh, Ian I mean, text- is, is that a late hit? I just feel like he's I, I, finishing a check. He's, I don't know if it's late. right there. Yeah, I don't think it's too late. Again, my take on it, I don't expect a suspension, but like I said, maybe there's an angle that shows it was dirtier to the head than what we've seen. I've only seen a straight-on angle. That's all I've seen on that play on Tyler Myers on Bjorkstrand, but we'll see ultimately if the league takes a look at it or not. The Vancouver Canucks... 5-1 victors on the road in Seattle. And the man who was there to watch it all is the man we call the triple threat. And this insider is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. You can watch him on TV, read him on digital, and hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. And if you were watching me on TV tonight, that as I'm sure you were, you learned that you learned that Bolivia is not only a country in South America, 
<laughs> but a winger on the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> yes, Bolivier. <laughs> Bolivier, yes. I'm sure that that Rick Tockett has said Bolivier about 14 times mm-hmm. this season. So I'm going to blame him for implanting it in my brain and it somehow came out of my mouth. Oh, did you say it tonight? Yes, I did. Oh, sorry, we sorry, we weren't that. watching. We were, we were working. Too. Oh, we, yeah. we, we, well, we, were, we were that's on true. air simultaneously yeah. as you. You were know, because we're on radio. <laughs> of course, you do that radio thing, yeah. right? But, yeah, yeah. I said Bolivier, and the funny thing was, as soon as I said it, and you know, it's live television, much like live radio. Yes. Except, I don't know if there's a five second delay on television, but anyways. As soon as I said it, my brain is thinking, wait a minute, what did I just say? Well, I'm yammering on about something else to the point where I almost stopped to say to Murph, what did I say? But I did. But I did. But That's then at the end, uh, That's entertainment. At the end, uh, <laughs> at the end of the segment, then Murph threw it back to Shorty and Ferrari. So I was off, I was off the hook. <laughs> Shorty and Ferrari. If only Shorty had a Ferrari, but he has Ray Ferraro. He has Ray Ferraro, which is pretty good, too. Not not bad. Not bad. I think um, maybe uh, better than having a Ferrari next to you, to be honest. But, uh, you know, we, we were just talking before before uh, we brought you on. People were asking us about the Tyler Myers hit on Oliver Bjorkstrand. Uh, Bjorkstrand laid on the ice a little bit, came off, had some wars from Myers. A no penalty called on the play. Uh, do, that play, do you think it's something the league takes a look at, or do you think uh, it's, it's, it's not much going on there? Well, the league, all, first of all, the league always takes a look at everything that right. happens in a game. And you can't, you can't target uh, somebody's head. Uh, that said, uh, I don't think there was much to it. I mean, Tyler was basically just finishing his check, and it really wasn't even a hard check. But mm-hmm. he, is, he is about eight foot seven on skates. <laughs> and I don't know how tall Bjorkstrand is, but I mean, I think. The, it was just unfortunate that his shoulder happened to be roughly where uh, Bjorkstrand's head was. But I, you know, does that mean it was deliberately targeted or I don't know. Uh, and, and like you, I, I heard what you're saying, Sat. I, I haven't seen enough different views of it to to conclude. But it definitely is something that the league will look at. I would be surprised based on the view that I did see. I would be surprised if there's any supplemental discipline for that. Ian, people want to see more of Nils Hoaglander. Uh, that's been the uh, prevailing uh, thought throughout the course of the evening. Is it the, the chance to give him more minutes higher in the lineup or just give him more minutes in his role? Yeah, I, I think it's more minutes in his role. I don't think there's I don't think there's a whole lot of openings higher in the lineup. Let's put it that way. I mean, Kazmenko is out tonight. I, I would think that Kazmenko would be back in tomorrow unless Unless Talkett decides he's not going to mess with what was a pretty gritty performance uh, by guys here in Seattle, but you know where where are you going to play Nils Hoglander higher up the lineup? Are you going to you know take Mikheyev off of Pedersen's wing? I I don't think so, and and that didn't look very good in the preseason when they tried it early on. Um, I think I think you know for. For all of the guys in in the bottom six, and th- this was this was a terrific bottom six game for Vancouver. Even though some of those guys in the bottom six were were playing up the lineup, you know, Lafferty got a turn in in Kuzmenko's spot. 
Bolivia played on uh, <laughs> played on the second line with Miller. But the guys, those guys as a group, uh, the the bottom half of the forwards, they were terrific. They collectively had a breakout night, and really, if you look at their their underlying numbers as a group, they've been surprisingly solid. I think this year, not that anyone thought the bottom six was going to be a disaster. You know, they did sign uh, Suter and Bluger to bolster uh, that group, and I think. I think we all thought that it would be better than it was, but the top of the lineup is so good. You wondered, uh, you know, are they, are they going to give something back in the bottom half? That group has been pretty good, but they just haven't scored enough. They haven't got enough on the board. You know, Garland's been sort of quietly one of their best forwards this season, but he's shooting at 5% and, you know, stuck on two goals. But he gets he gets two assists tonight. You know, Joshua gets on the board. Lafferty scores a goal. Hoaglander scores a goal again. And and I think what all of those guys can do when they have nights like this, they balance the lineup. So yes, they can play a little bit more. They can get they can earn themselves more time, but they're not earning it on the first power play. They're not earning it because you know they're going to dislodge uh, one of the NHL scoring leaders from the top two lines. They earn it. Because they have, they continue to play well themselves. They continue to do the things that Talkit wants them to do, as far as as details and defending and being difficult to play against. And they generate a bottom line for themselves offensively. And so that's why you'll see uh, on a night like this, and and you know, the Kraken are one of the many paper-free organizations now. So I have not a score sheet to look at as I'm talking <laughs> off the top of my head here. Well, it wouldn't be but, climate pledge if they didn't uh, do things like yeah. that, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm not sure what they're doing with the 10,000, you know, uh, plastic uh, water bottles that were distributed tonight and all the other garbage. But anyways, we digress. Uh I, I, I think, though, and you will correct me if I'm wrong, I think this was a much more balanced uh, game as far as, as ice times. The third and fourth line guys got lots of minutes. I mean, what was – you asked me specifically about Hoaglander. So how many minutes did he finish with on the fourth uh, line? Nils Hoaglander tonight uh, played with 10.39. Right. And keep in mind that there was, what, eight minutes in the first period – because uh, he doesn't kill penalties, plus another four on power play time. So there's 12 minutes of the game he's essentially ineligible for. Yeah, c- could he have played 12? Of course he could. And, and But, you know, the, the third line was really going tonight. And you're not going to play your, your first two lines less than 15 minutes. I mean, their their ice time was, a, was about as modest as it's been all season, uh, as it was. So... You know what? What Hoaglander and others can do at the bottom of the lineup is is earn themselves more shifts at the bottom of the lineup, and there's really there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with trying to be a four line team. We we've seen the Canucks trending towards at least being a three line team because the third line has been very good territorially for several games now. It just didn't ha- have anything on the score sheet for it. So, you know, just. You know, keep playing well and good things will come. How about that? 
I mean, yeah, a very novel concept, but but a very good one, I think, right? I mean, in terms of how they played overall tonight, too, like, I, I think Thatcher Demko deserves a lot of credit for really keeping them, keeping this game from really turning in Seattle's favor in that second, especially to begin the second. Did it look uh, quite as chaotic as it did on TV for those first six or seven minutes where Demko was spectacular in the second? Yeah, it, look, it, looked, it just looked like the Canucks. Uh, they're like a video game character that ran out of energy. Like they <laughs> right. just went dead. Yeah. <laughs> they just stopped moving. <laughs> they needed to power up again. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know exactly why they went dead. I don't know what enabled them to power up. But it was really just what about a six or eight minute stretch there, early in, in the second period, and it, it it just looked like that was the best spell the Kraken had all game. And when you think, I, I think the shots were eight nothing uh, in the first eight minutes for for the Kraken. They, they had only 24 shots all game, including only two in the third period. So the rest, the rest of the game, they only generated 16 shots. So the Canucks were doing, for the most part, they were doing a pretty good job of limiting them, but they, they when they stopped playing for that spell, yeah, Demko was very good. And of course, Demko was, was excellent on the penalty kill uh, in the first period, which is the key of just determined that's actually one of the keys to a good penalty kill is having your goalie make saves. He was very good yeah. when Seattle had four straight power plays, you know, half of the first 16 minutes of the game. But, you know, within those spells, it was Teddy Bluger scoring shorthanded for the Canucks early on. And the second goal, it wasn't in the midst of that, um, uh, you know, one-way traffic for Seattle, but it was not long after it, you know, about 12 minutes in the second period, Dakota, Dakota Joshua scores a big goal and they're up two two nothing when at various points, it looked like maybe Seattle might take, take away the game. But I thought the Canucks in the second half of the game were terrific. You know, they kind of gave up a needless goal at the end of the second. It was uh, Ilias Pedersen making a soft play on the puck he was trying to pick it up while going backwards and he didn't pick it up it went to the point yep and it got turned around and ended up in the Vancouver net and and you kind of thought because honestly Seattle is a momentum team they they when they're going they're they seem to be as quick as about anybody in, in the NHL and they just come at you in waves and they're relentless with their with their pressure and using their speed forcing into the mistakes I kind of thought, okay, is this going to be one of those games now? Are we going to see a start at the third period the way we saw the start at the second uh, now that Seattle's within one? And instead, I mean, there was, I think, one shift early in the third that was in the Canucks end. But for the most part, Vancouver did to them what Seattle did to the Canucks in Vancouver a week ago, where when, when it was 2-2 in the third and the game's available to everyone, Seattle just took it away. They just were better, mm-hmm. and they didn't give the Canucks a chance. The Canucks let Seattle take it away. And tonight it was the opposite. The Canucks just took that game away. They just sealed it Yeah. in the third. They didn't give the Kraken a chance, and then, of course, they got more goals from depth guys that we haven't seen score very much. Although, you know, Hoaglander it is his seventh now, right? Yeah, seventh goal on the season. Seventh, so... Yeah, he had six coming in, six and three coming in. So, I mean, he's he's scoring at a good clip. I can see why a team Holglander is 
is all over Tockett to try and get him more ice time. But uh, I think it was it was a, a good game for the depth guys generally, and it's nice to nice to be able to win a game where you're not counting on Pedersen and Besser and and Miller and Hughes, although Hughes was very good again. But uh, it was nice for them to get rewarded have those bottom guys carry a victory and drive the offense. Who needs a game sheet when you memorize the stats, like seven goals for Nils Hoaglander? Yeah, well, I try to be, I try to be prepared, and uh, as I get older, Bick, it just becomes a mess, and I say things like Bolivier <laughs> on television. Hey, I, I've been sitting here looking at South American countries trying to figure another player to, <laughs> to comp it, and the best I've come up with is is Pedersen for Paraguay. Paraguay. <laughs> Uh, that's weak, Dick. It's terrible. It. It's terrible. So. Yeah. It's getting late here as well, but, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bolivier. And now it's there. Like, yeah. it's like a shank for anybody who plays golf. Oh, yeah. It's like you've a shank. Yeah, and you may not shank another ball for two years, but you know it's there. It's waiting. It's a possibility. Every time you take the golf club back that you're going to shank one. It's a possibility every time... I think of Anthony Beauvillier. Bo- I said it again. There you go, oh, Beauvillier. Beauvillier. There's a chance I'm going to say Bolivier. Yeah, uh, it might. I think uh, from now on it's going to be one of those. Uh, it's going to be one of those mental blocks. It'll keep coming up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So well. That's like the things a, I endure. It's like <laughs> my a, life is hard, isn't it? Very difficult. It's like when a song gets in your head, and you can't get it out. It's kind of what it is. Oh, oh I just got a text word. from a friend. I left an obvious one out. Ian yeah. Columbia. Oh, yeah. terrible! <laughs> also very bad, but okay, we go with it. Uh, Ian, do you know? Do you know that um, every time I type Ian Cole on my phone, it autocorrects to Ian Coke. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. And so I deleted it within like fifteen seconds and wrote it again. But you think after? After you correct it a few times, the phone should just remember that you don't actually mean Coca-Cola. You just mean somebody named Cole. Yeah, the smartphones aren't as smart as they think they are. He's been that refreshing. And by the way, don't ever watch Les Mis at night and then go to bed. Because you will will have those songs (laughs) rolling around your brain all night and the next day and possibly for weeks to come. It's like a... It's like... Listen, it's one of the great musicals of all time. So many great songs. But it's like a, a, a brain worm that gets in there and won't get out. So just be careful. I mean, everyone in the world's already seen it, so I don't know why I'm warning you. So long as you dream to dream. Yeah, exactly. Don't. Don't even start. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> don't even tell me the phrases because they'll start to materialize as song in my head. Oh, maybe it'll turn up tomorrow night on the post-game show because, Ian, uh, we know you're out in Seattle uh, staying up late, getting, doing great work as always. We look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca and chatting with you tomorrow after a game in San Jose against the Sharks. Yes, I'll be back uh, in the home office uh-huh. tomorrow Beautiful. In, in lovely Steveston, B.C. So talk to you guys then. We will do so for sure. Thanks so much, Ian. Good night. Good night. That's Ian McIntyre, and this insider is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together at online at D L E A M C.
Com. And that brings us to the end of the show uh, where we are late already. Bick, we're back at it again. Intermissions and postgame tomorrow when the Canucks finish up their road trip in San Jose against the Sharks. Special thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory producing the show. I'm Satyar Shaw. And thank you to every one of you for listening, participating, calling in, and just being part of the postgame show. We love it very much and can't wait to be back at it tomorrow. Pre-game coming up at 6, puck drop at 7, Canucks and Sharks. Right here on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.